morning, church. It's beautiful outside, isn't it? Spring, springtime's right around the corner. Uh, we're going to be read. if you want to follow with me in your Bibles, we're going to be reading from John 14, verses 1 through 14 this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would, have I, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can, I, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Wherever you ask, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me, ask, if you ask me any, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you are God. We know that you are our King. Lord, we just trust in you. Lord, we just want to praise you and give you all glory. Lord, we raise up your church and pray for it. Lord, we pray for protection and your shield of, before us, Father. Lord, just let us walk in your ways. Let us be a blessing to you. And Lord, we just uh, want to draw close to you moment by moment. Father, we pray for anointing on Jackie's teaching and the message that you have for us today. Lord, we op ask for open, eye, open hearts and open minds that we might take what you have for us in and dwell on it and incorporate it in our lives. But we just pray all these things to your precious son, Jesus. Amen. That's better. Makes me nervous if I talk in front of that mic with two mics on. You guys don't want to know what happens when that happens. There's horrible screeching and sounds like an owl yelling at a mic. This morning, as we look at John chapter 14, here's one of the things I want you to try to uh, wrap around in your minds. We're going to be several weeks going through the next several chapters, and the next several chapters are all dealing primarily with the same night. So we have multiple chapters. We have a, a meal, the Last Supper. Remember, Jesus washed their feet. He... Uh, he uh, uh, told the betrayer to get busy about what he was doing. 
Uh, he told his disciples he was going somewhere they couldn't follow him, remember? And Peter said, where are you going, Lord? I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus said, well, before the rooster crows this night, you will deny you even know me. This is all happening at the same time. So when we come to, to John 14, 1, and the Lord says, let not your hearts be troubled, he's literally, in the, in the Greek and the grammar, he's saying, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Your hearts are already troubled. They're, they're starting to freak out, right? And this night is just starting. The bad things are just getting going. It's going to ramp up infinitely more, right? When the guys with torches show up to arrest Jesus. So as Jesus is here in John chapter 14, he's going to focus on answering two questions in the, in the section that we're looking at right here. And the first one is, <clears throat> where are you going? And the second one we'll see in verse 5, uh, how do we get there? We don't know the way, right? That's what Thomas is going to ask. So Peter asks in, in John 13, 36, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, so we can understand what he's talking about. Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will. And I want you to, to recognize or hold on to the ideal that where Jesus is going is the cross. What he is accomplishing is our access to heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man's coming to the Father, right? Except through him. So he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Their hearts are troubled. They're pretty freaked out. Like I said, this night's going to continue to create more and more issues. And Jesus says, I'm going, you can't follow me, but where I'm going, I'm going to make a way for you to the Father. You can't come yet, but you will come afterward. And then he says, believe in God, believe in me. There's this sense throughout the Gospel of John that we really want to try to wrap our minds around, and that is the idea that, that God uh, includes Father, Son, and we'll see around chapter 15 and 16, a little bit in 14 later on, the Holy Spirit. So that you can't separate the idea from God from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus is going to say over and over again, it's the same. You believe in God, believe in me. It's the same. You're saying the same things the the father is in me i'm in the father when i speak words i'm speaking what the father's words when i do things i'm doing what i'm doing the father's work he's laying out this idea the unity this intense unity <clears throat> excuse me that you have here between father and son ultimately in the godhead so we begin in this night when everything's going to be the craziest and there are several things that jesus is promising us or promising them those guys in that room at the time that he's promising them he's saying to them i'm your peace i love what michelle shared this morning rich and michelle leading us in worship and and the point is the reality is his presence is what you need 
It's, you, you think you need all these things. You think you need a healing. You think you need this miracle or that miracle. But what you need is him. Because everything you need is wrapped up in that idea. Everything, everything you're looking for is found in his presence. So Jesus is laying out for them, listen, belief in my Father, belief in me, this is the anchor for your peace. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. This night is going to get worse. Believe in God. Believe in me. Anybody ever been through a crazy, hard, painful, dark night? And you look around and you think, I'm, I don't think I can make it through this. I don't think I can survive this. I don't know how, if I'm going to make it through the things that are going on. Well, the Lord said to the guys facing that same kind of night, he said to them, here's your anchor. Trust me. I am with you. Isn't that what the psalmist declared in the 23rd Psalm? The young Hebrew boy, ostracized by his family, taking care of the sheep. Nobody else wants to do that. When Samuel comes to name the next king, Jesse didn't even call David. Ah, leave the runt out there. Tell him to take care of the sheep. The most important thing, the most important person in the nation was showing up at their house. Do you get that? That's like saying, oh yeah, you know, the what I don't know I don't know who the most important person in a nation is right now, uh, but if if the most important person in a nation was coming to your house and you didn't tell nobody, you know your kids, you just said, oh yeah, I'm not gonna tell the kids, and then later on they're like, oh dude, the most important person in a nation was at our house, you didn't tell me, Jesse's. Samuel, the prophet, God's prophet, is coming, the last judge of the nation of Israel. He's coming to their town to pick the next king. Uh, this is, this is, tell David not to come. He embarrasses us. He's wild. He's wooly. The Bible says it like this. Oh, he's ready. He's good with the sheep. You know, he wrestles with bears and lions, and that's a good place for him. Sitting in a refined meal with the prophet, I don't know if that's so good. That kid, yeah, out in the middle of the pasture, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Only thing I need is the Lord. And when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, all the personal pronouns in Psalm 23, they all become very personal. Instead of he, it is you are with me. The eyes of the psalmist look to the one who is present with him in the darkness. So Samuel finally says, hey, you, don't you got any other kids? Because none of these guys, the Lord says it's none of these guys. Yeah, we got one. He's wild though. We, we leave him in the woods. Well, bring him here. So he anointed David's head with oil, and trouble followed him the rest of his life. Kings hunted him. 
His own children rebelled. Being the anointed of the Lord wasn't a pass that everything in life was going to work out just like you want. He's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem one day and he's going to say, they're going to say, Hey, Absalom, your son, he's on his way here with an army to take your throne. David's going to say, Peace, I'm out. Turns around and walks out of Jerusalem. He just walks away. Why? Because when all those things are happening, when the difficulty has come, when the struggles are going on, he does what he wrote in Psalm 23. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. If I'm in the caves in En Gedi, you are with me. If my son is in rebellion and bringing an army to conquer me, he says, you are with me. It is his presence that is our peace. So the key to tapping into that peace that God has for us, we're going to see in a moment, the key to tapping into that presence is you have to know him. Which is one of the two things Almighty God says he wants of you. I want your loyalty, God says, and I want you to want to know me. So, Scripture goes on. Jesus, in promising them peace, your hearts don't have to be troubled, trust in me. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about being at home with the Father in heaven. So, so what's his point? The second point that he's making here in this how do we face our darkest times? The second point that he's making, not only is he our peace, but he promises us a place. I always liked that uh, silly show, Cheers. You guys ever heard of that? Some of you young guys don't know it. It's been gone so long. I, I could. The only thing I could think of older than that is MASH, and there's not too many of you remember that, neither. So, but one of the things that, that kind of resonated in, in Cheers, not in this story, I don't remember none of the characters, I don't remember none of it, I remember the song. You remember the song? Everybody wants to a place where everybody knows their name, right? We want to be where, a, it signifies a place where you belong. Now, the best thing that the world could offer was a bar. The, the, here's a bar, this is the best we can offer, this is a place where everybody knows your name. But Jesus says, uh, that's my father's house. That's the place where, where he, he has a room for you. It's not like you're bugging them. You know, most of the time when, when we go to visit somebody, we'll go over to somebody's house maybe, and they say, oh, yeah, well, if you don't got nowhere to stay, you can stay with us. No, I don't want to be a bother. You know, we feel that way. The Lord, Jesus is saying, no, no, he's got a room. It's just for you. Nobody else stays in it. It's your room. It's in my father's house, a place that you belong. So he wants them to know on this darkest night when things are going to get worse and worse and worse, leading up to the point where they're all going to be ready to quit, throw their hands up in the air, say we blew it, it's over, right? Jesus is telling them, I want you to know that in my father's house, you have a room. It's already there. There's a place for you. He says, if it were not so, would I have told you? And I go to prepare a place for you. Now, 
I'm going to melt your mind a little bit. Jesus does not have to make your room. Jesus is making your way. Your room's there. There's room for you. It's not that Jesus is spending 2,000 years decorating your room or preparing your apartment for you. He says, I go. They're asking him, don't lose context. They're asking him, where are you going? Where is he going? He's going to the cross. And what is he accomplishing at the cross? I'm preparing the way. You're going to have a way where? To my father's house. You're going to say that in a couple of verses. Where do we, how do we go, Lord? We don't know the way. I am the way, the truth, and? That's right. No one comes to the Father except through me. Follow me. So Jesus is laying out. We have, we have this place. We have a place in his Father's house. Did David know that? How does the 23rd Psalm end? 23rd Psalm says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life, and I will dwell. How's it go? That's right. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did he know he had a place? Yeah. I have a place in the Father's house. Second Corinthians 5.1 says this, For if we know... That the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. Anybody's tent getting destroyed? Yeah, it's got a couple holes in it. Yeah, it's like my favorite pair of jeans. You know, they get holy, but they only get more comfortable when that happens. Except my earthly tent doesn't do that. I I am like Paul. Paul said, I can't wait to the day to cast off this earthly tent. I wore things out. Nobody told me when I was young, hey, if you keep doing that when you're old, you're going to be sorry. Well, they probably did tell me, but I wasn't listening. I, I didn't listen. So now, you know, when I, when I get up early in the morning and I'm trying to wonder why my right knee doesn't work, I, I'm reminded by that glorious tackle once. <laughs> when I... When I go to bed and I think, wow, my gosh, my right shoulder is killing me, I think there was a 40-yard perfect touchdown pass once that came out of that arm. And I'm paying for it all. But there's a day, right, when we cast off this earthly tent that's wearing out. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, when this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have what? A building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. There is a place for you. There is a place, Jesus would say, in my Father's house. Where are you going, Lord, to prepare a place for you? Going to the cross is preparing a place. He is our access to the Father's house. He is our access. Verse 3 Not only is he he our peace, not only does he promise us a place, we have a a home in Christ in the heavens, but also we have his presence. Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, what? There you will be also. It is the promise of his presence. That is the 
the greatest of all the things that Jesus is laying out, the promise of a president. So he says, look, I'm going to go prepare a place. Now think about what I'm telling you, that preparing a place is headed to the cross. So if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now I'm going to tell you this is twofold. One, he's speaking of the resurrection. He's going to die, and three days later, what? He's going to get up, right? And he's going to come back. So those same guys who are entering into the darkest night that they'll ever remember, right? The time when they all bail on Christ and then the next thing they know, Jesus is dead. Can you imagine for people who had based their whole entire future on this, what that felt like? And then for three days he was dead. They're sitting in a, in a room trying to contemplate, what am I doing next? But maybe somewhere in the back of their mind, there's this echo. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll be back. Now, the same thing is true for you and I. In Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, Scripture will, will lay out for us. Verse 9 said, when Jesus had said these things, <clears throat> as they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. If I go, I will come again. The resurrection is the promise of the second coming. As he's telling the disciples that are entering into their darkest time and he's going to be dead and they're going to be totally in despair. But they should remember that Jesus said, I'm going to, where are you going, Lord? I'm going to prepare a place for you. But when I go, know this, I'll be back. And I'll be with you. I'm promising you my presence. And we have that same promise of the Lord for us today. We have that same promise that the Lord is with us. Not only is he returning in the same way bodily, Jesus Christ will return. Titus 2.13 says that we wait for our blessed hope, which is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're, we're looking for that day, right? We're looking for the day when they finally the earth finally has the king she needs. We're looking for that day when Christ will come, when wickedness will be put down once and for all, and we will be with him physically. But Jesus also promises us his presence. Hey, I got to go away, but it's better for you that I go. Because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and I will be he says, in you. Because the same way that he, in the, in the concept of the Godhead, will say the Father is in me and I am in the Father, he's going to say the same thing about the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Scripture actually teaches us that Jesus is in you. He promised his presence. I'm going to go prepare a place but I will come again. And I will take you to myself. 
The disciples, we're going to read about it in the Gospel of John, guys. The disciples, literally, especially Peter, Peter's going to say, you know, I betrayed Christ. Even after he saw Christ, Peter's going to say, I I betrayed him and I kind of messed up this whole deal. He can echo, he hears his own voice. Does this ever happen to you? I said, I'm ready to die with you. I'll never deny you, right? Uh, uh, But Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me tonight. And after it happened, Peter's like, that's it, I'm done. He says, I'm going fishing. What are you guys going to do? He doesn't mean, I got to think, I'm going to grab a pole and go fishing. No, he's going back to the boat he left when Christ called him. And some of the other disciples say, yeah, we'll go with you. Because why? Because they're all dejected. Why? Because... Because all the things they thought about themselves, have you ever come face to face with who you really are? And then you didn't like it? We, we build ourselves up into something great, you know, I would never do this, or I would never do that, or I would never, and then all of a sudden you're looking in a mirror and that's what you're looking at? Oh yeah, I am that, I am that person. So they're like, oh, I'm going fishing. Going back to the boat. What did Jesus do? They're out there fishing all night long. Can't catch nothing. So if you're them thinking, I'm going back to my old ways. I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to fishing. And your first night back in your old ways, no fish. Man, this is terrible. And then some old timer on the shore yells out at you. Hey, I was fishing last night. That should have been their first clue. But it wasn't. They go... Terrible. Yeah, first time a fisherman ever told the truth. (laughs) Terrible. It was terrible. So then he says, (laughs) this always cracks me up. Cast your nets on the other side. Okay, I don't know if you guys fully understand that. It won't matter. Every fisherman, oh, when you're fishing, I go out. <laughs> I used to have a fish finder, which is a, a, a toy for a fisherman to play with because he's not catching fish. So he can watch a fish. Look, there's a fish that are swimming all over, and I think it's just a stupid little video game that has dots go by all the time. <laughs> so you'll keep trying. I, I know I can catch one of these things. There's some under there. You cast your net. The net goes down under the boat. That's where it goes. You cast it to the other side. The net goes down under the boat. Cast to the other side. Just be obedient. They should have known. They heard this voice before. They cast the other side. They catch more fish. They catch so many fish they can't pull the net up. Peter turns around and says, it's the Lord. What was he doing? If I come again, I will take you to myself. You don't get to quit. I'm here. It's okay. I knew who you were when I called you. Do you remember when Jesus said that? I know my disciples. I know who you are. Peter, I'm not surprised by what happened. In fact, when, when Jesus prayed for Peter, he said, Hey, when, when you return, strengthen the brethren. So here Jesus, he's calling him to him, and he's going to confirm Peter, right? He's going to bring Peter back in. 
I will come again, take you to myself, and I'll be with you. I'll be with you all the way through. There's a day when Jesus Christ will return. And we will know the same thing they knew. We'll know, we'll know his physical presence. And we'll be with him forever. If heaven is anything other than that for you, you have the wrong view. If heaven is something else, you don't know Jesus. If you know Jesus, that's what you want. You want his presence. He will be with us. Matthew 28, 20. Listen, in the Great Commission, the marching orders for every believer... In verse 20, he says, teaching them all the things that I have commanded you. Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. So go, therefore, make disciples of every nation. Right? Make disciples everywhere. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them the things I have commanded you. And behold, what's he say? I am with you always, even to the end of the age promise of his presence hebrews 13 5 the writer of hebrews declares keep your life free from the love of money be content with what you have for he has said i will never leave you or forsake you what is it that we need his presence not his presence like the things you unwrap his presence who he is this is what we need. Verse 4, Jesus says, John 14, 4, You know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, this is not because Jesus has not told them. He's told them multiple times where he's going. When they left to go to Jerusalem, he said, I'm going there, and they're going to arrest me, and they're going to crucify me. And on the third day, I will rise again. He told them. You ever had somebody tell you something you can't hear? Oh, let me say it this way. Parents, have you ever said something that your children can't hear? Oh, uh, what? Yeah, can you understand me? No, they can't. I don't know why. Their ears are damaged by their brains. They can't hear. They didn't hear Jesus either. This is a problem that we have, right? We don't always understand what's going on. But look what Jesus said. Thomas says, I don't, I don't know where you're going, Lord, and I don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am, listen to what the Lord is saying, I am everything you need. No, Lord, I need a... No, listen, I am everything you need. But God, you don't understand. I need... No, listen. I am everything you need. I am the way to where you're going. I am the truth to how you get there. And I am the life. In any place else you try to find life, will suck you dry of life. It'll draw all the life out of you. I know. I have done it. 
I have been a shriveled up little corpse chasing life. And I would say, man, I'm just living my best life. No. All my life was being drained out of me. My best life is found in his presence. My understanding, my comprehension of things, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ Jesus, what Colossians says. Jesus said, I am the truth. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He goes on now. In verse 7, he says, So if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. This is, again, the unity between Father and Son. You know me, you know the, you, you know the Father. Jesus is going to say, he's already said in John chapter 6, he's already laid out for us, right, that the ones who come to him are the ones who have heard the Father's voice. Jesus says, interestingly, I only speak the Father's words. So if you heard the Father's voice, John chapter 5 Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Because Moses was talking about me. Moses was talking about my father's words. I'm speaking my father's words. They're the same. The concept isn't that they somehow had the father, but they rejected the son. They're rejecting God in toto. They don't want any of them. Because if you want him, the, the son would say, the only way to the Father is through me. You cannot have the Father without the Son or the Son without the Father. So Jesus is saying here in verse 7, If you know me, you know my Father also. Because I and the Father are one. The unity of God. The unity of God. I know, I get it. You, your, 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 your brain wants to... Wrap around the axle over it. Okay? Well, don't. There is only one Yahweh in all the universe. What are you going to compare him to? Isaiah says God is incomparable. That means there's nothing to compare him to. There's nothing like God. How many times does God say that? There's nothing like me. There's no other God like me. I am the only one. So you can't compare him to an egg, you can't compare him to the sun, you can't compare him to a tree, you can't compare him to anything else, because nothing else in all of creation is like him. He is transcendent. He is beyond. That's kind of the point of being God, isn't it? If you know me, you have known my Father. From now on, you do Know him and you have seen him. If you know me, you know the Father. This is God's great call to his people to know me. Know me. Do you know me? In Philippians chapter 3 verse 7, Paul's rehearsing all the things he has, all the things he can boast in. If it was me, I'd be, uh, maybe I'd talk about the Harley, but he doesn't. Talk about the Harley. He talks about things he had as a, as a Pharisee. Look what he says. Whatever things I had, verse 7, whatever things I had, I count them as loss. That's a very nice biblical word for words we don't say in church. It is absolute trash, rubbish, garbage. 
He says, everything I had, I count as garbage for what? For the sake of Christ. Because Jesus is greater than all those things, the list that he runs down, all that stuff I had, Jesus is greater than all of it. He's greater than everything I got. I'm telling you right now, he, if he can, I've said this before, he wants my stuff, he can have it. He's taken it before. Hopefully he doesn't hit it with a big truck this time. He, hopefully he does it a different way. But he can have it all, any of it. I want him. I don't want all that stuff. I enjoy the stuff God lets me have, but I want him. Paul says, I count it all as loss for the sake of Christ. Look, indeed, I count everything as loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So Paul says the most incredible thing that he has in all of his possession, all the stuff he's ever done, all the stuff he's ever had, the most incredible thing surpasses them all, is the knowledge of Christ. Knowing Him. The, uh, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith by trusting Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. I want to know him. Paul says, this is what I want. If you know me, you know the Father. If you know me, you have everything that you need in fact in john 1 verse 18 my favorite scripture in the entire esv bible nobody no other translation says it like the esv the esv says this john 1 18 no one has ever seen god the only god who is at the father's side has made him known John 1, 1 through 3, the great prologue to John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with, side by side, with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word, God, became flesh. So the Son's goal is to show us the Father. He's the revelation of the Father. Jesus Christ is the revel. Oh, there's a book called that, isn't it? You guys ever heard of it? Yeah, it's called the Re book of Revelation. Or what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. No S on revelations. There's only one revelation. The revelation from the Father is the Son. It is the Son. Jesus is saying, look, I, if you know me, you know the Father. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because the God who is at the side of God the Father has revealed him to us. That's called God the Son. He has revealed the Father to us. So Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough. You ever feel like you're saying words that people don't understand what you're saying? Jesus knows how that feels. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? You still don't know me, Philip? You look at me every day. 
Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Let me say it to you another way. Whoever has seen Jesus has seen God. Because the God who is at the side of God has revealed God to us. Crazy, huh? Every one of those terms, we're talking about one Yahweh. And there is no other God like him. No other example, no other place to go, no other thing to think. Nobody has figured it all out, and so now finally they can express. In fact, as soon as somebody tells you, I got it all figured out, turn around and run. <clears throat> Whatever they have figured out is probably bad. God the Son reveals God the Father. If you've seen him, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the revelation of the Father to man. The revelation of God the Father to man is Jesus Christ. What's God like? Jesus. What's God think? Jesus. What's God do? Jesus. The revelation of the Father is the Son. This is, this is what God wants you to know about him, see about him. This is how you can come to him. And one day, when we leave this world, we're going to be greeted by Jesus who will throw his arms around us and usher us before the Father and present us perfect without spot or blemish or any such thing covered in the blood of Christ. And everything that we know about the Father that we've learned from the Son, we'll understand. We'll see. Now you see through a glass darkly. Then you will see face to face. Now you know in part, then you shall know even as you are known. How well does God know you? Pretty good? God says there's a day coming when you get to know that way. He is everything we need. So Jesus goes on and declares in verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Right? What did John 1.1 1, 1 tell us? In the beginning was the word, the logos, the, 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 the intellect, the wisdom of God, the voice of God, the word. The word of God, his ability to communicate with man. In the beginning was God's ability to communicate with man, which is spoken to us through God the word, Jesus Christ, the word of God who became flesh, dwelt among us and reveals who God is to us. So he said, I, I, I'm speaking with the voice of my father. I'm speaking the father's words. I'm doing the Father's deeds. When you look at me, you see him. I am the revelation of the Father to the world. He says, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. 
The Father who dwells in me, Jesus said, the Father who dwells in me does his work. There's this, there's this idea when we talk about God and we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, everybody wants to break out a, a hatchet and start chopping God into pieces. God never says you can chop him into pieces. In fact, he says the opposite. He says, I am one. So the concept behind God saying I am one is not I am divisible. You should divide me as many pieces as you want. No, God doesn't want. There's no dividing God. He is. That's right. He is God. Jesus is saying, look, the Father in me does his work. The words are the Father's. The authority is the Father's. The Father had given it to him. The Father had given this authority to the Son. Jesus would say, John 12, 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. John 5, 45, Jesus said, Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, the one on which you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, because he is speaking the same words. Moses was speaking the Father's words as the Father gave them to Moses. Jesus is speaking the Father's words as the Father gave his words to him. John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. For it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. No one has seen the Father, the only God at the side of the Father reveals him to us. This is what the Word teaches. This is what the Word lays out. God is, as VeggieTales so profoundly put it, bigger than the boogeyman. God, you're not ever going to be able to develop a philosophy that entails it all because God said, there's no one like me. There's nothing like me in all of creation. I know, God says, I made it all. There's nothing like me. And here, God in the flesh is standing before Philip, and he's telling Philip, believe me, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or, believe me because of the works. Now, I told you about this before. We're going to get into a subject nobody's going to like. In case you've liked anything so far, you're not going to like what's next. If you haven't liked what's happened so far, it's only going to get worse. So, Jesus said, then believe me for the work's sake. So, so, so please get this in your mind. There was not a lot of people walking around... Um, making legs straight. People who had never walked on it. You ever seen somebody who has never walked before? What their legs look like? So a man, 38 years, 38 years, never walked. Sitting at the side of a pool, Jesus walks over to him and says, do you want to be well? And the guy says, well, I do, but nobody will put me in the water. Well, Jesus is like, you don't need the water. Pick up your bed. Do you understand that in that little phrase that we read, 
his legs had to be strengthened so that they would support his body. That never happened before. Lepers, people weren't just walking around finding a leper and poof, the leper was cleansed. That didn't, well, it wasn't like an everyday. Jesus said, look at the works. The blind see, the lame walk, leap like a deer. The deaf hear. The gospel is preached to the poor. And blessed is he who is not ashamed because of me. Everywhere he, you looked, when Christ was on earth, everywhere you looked, things were happening. So Jesus is like, look, you don't want to believe what I'm saying. Are you, try working on believing your eyes. Do you see the things that are happening? Believe me for the sake of the works. Look at them. You were there when Jesus stood outside of Lazarus' tomb who had been dead for four days and he stunk and Jesus called him forth and he lived. You were there the day he's walking into Jerusalem and a, and a woman weeping because her only son is dead coming out of the city to go bury him. And Jesus just touches them on the way by. And the dead rise. There's nobody ever like Jesus. I don't care how big a billboard they buy today. I don't care how many people pay money to come to the show. There's nobody on earth like Jesus. He is beyond anything we can think or imagine. He is the transcendent God. And so, he says, believe me for the sake of the works. Now look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Because of what I'm about to do, Jesus says, you'll do this and greater. Part one of what you may not want to hear. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. Later on, they're going to go by another name. What name are they going to go by? Apostles, right? They're going to deliver to us the word. And when they deliver to us the New Testament, the new covenant, which is in the blood of Christ, when they deliver that, how are they going to confirm that what they're doing is true? They're going to do what Jesus did. Have you read the book of Acts? Yeah. It says that Peter's and Paul's shadow would cross somebody and they'd get healed. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, these works you've seen me do, you're going to do those and greater. But he doesn't say the word works again. It may say works in your Bible. This is us trying to translate the idea that Jesus is laying out from the Greek to English. Sometimes those things are challenging when they're done. But the word works should be on italics in your Bible. He simply says, the works that I do, you will do, and greater things. And the question is always, what's the greater things? 
Jesus did incredible works. The apostles did incredible works, confirming that the word that they were delivering was to be the word of God, yes? And just so I can be perfectly clear, I believe Jesus does miracles today. I do not believe in miracle workers. I believe that the Holy Spirit gives what is necessary at the moment to the person who's there. That's what I believe. You're welcome to come Monday morning and argue with me. I always love a good argument. I believe Jesus, uh, that God still heals. I believe that miracles still happen today. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just telling you what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to those guys, you're going to do the works that I've done. You're going to establish a word that you're delivering so that the people know that they can accept that word because it's coming to them in power. But there are no apostles anymore. They're done. The time of the apostles is over. The requirement to be an apostle was you had to see the resurrected Christ. Paul saw him. He's the only one who saw him different than the rest of them, right? But Paul saw him on the Damascus Road. You remember the story, right? Everybody says God knocked him off a horse, but if you read the Bible, there was no horse there. <laughs> Maybe there was, he was on a horse, but we don't know. But he met Christ, didn't he? Yeah? Yeah, Jesus met him. So you have this being poured out in the servants of God to go deliver to us what we can receive now as the New Testament. We can know that this is the word of God because it was delivered to us in power, just like the power of Christ. But he said, you're going to do greater things. And, and I, I, I want to bring this, this idea, I, hopefully I can fold this all together, but that you understand. He's talking to his disciple. Whoever believes in me, he does not, he's not thinking as he's going to later. He's going to talk about you later. Don't worry. He's going to talk about you later. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. He's going to talk about you being able to have power from God. He's going to talk about all those things. But it will not be like Jesus. And it won't be like the apostles. But it will be power from God to do whatever God's directing you and calling you to do. Tracking? Hopefully, later on, I'm going to hear about how I said there's no such thing as miracles. So, it better not be from your lips. Let it be somebody watching on TV. So, he's saying, look, greater than these, greater than these. What is it that he's talking about? Greater things, greater than this, you're going to do. In John 15, which is, again, dealing with the same evening, Jesus is going to say, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. He's talking again to his disciples. He's letting them know, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You're my, you're my 12. The Bible continues to use the 12 even when there's 11. He knows. He says, look, you're, you're mine, I chose you, that you would bear fruit, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. John 16, same night. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Why? He won't be there anymore. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, but ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. 
Jesus saying, there's a day coming. I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm going to be gone. You're not going to ask me. You're going to ask the Father, and you're going to ask the Father in my name, and he's going to give it to you. He's saying, look, his name involves becoming more productive. He's saying when the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples aren't going to ask Jesus for anything. He'll be gone. They'll ask the Father in Jesus' name, which is a privilege they never had before. Nobody did. Ever. You didn't just go pray the Father in the name of the Son. David, when he wanted a word from the Lord, you know what he did? Call for the priest, tell him to bring the ephod. But Jesus is saying, hey, you're not going to, I am making a way, right? I am opening a door. I am going to provide for you. I want you to understand when the Bible talks about the promise of greater things you will do because I am going to the Father. In Jesus' lifetime, he never left Israel. His audience was small. Those who followed him were small. On the first day that Peter preaches, more people are going to come. The Spirit's going to fall. They're going to be empowered. And you're going to see greater than this. Because the greater thing is the changed lives that can be accomplished because of the way Jesus made. The fact that you can change your life. That Jesus Christ can make you a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Because that doesn't happen until after the resurrection. The disciples are a bunch of knuckleheads. Until when? After the resurrection. Because Jesus is doing what? Making a way. He makes the way. He provides for them. Afterwards, Jesus says, stay here. Stay here until you have been endowed with power. I go to my Father, but when I go, I am not going to leave you an orphan. I will come to you. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will empower you to be the men you need to be. And the same Holy Spirit that worked in them works in you. You do not have the same authority as they had, but you do have the same source of power. Do you understand? So in 1 Corinthians, when it says, earnestly desire the best gift, and I say to you, the best gift is whatever the Holy Spirit says you need at the moment. So maybe... When you're standing there and praying for the sick, God will, through the Holy Spirit, empower you to heal. Perhaps healing will come through the prayer that you pray over the sick. The Bible talks about in James, right? James says, bring the sick before the elders and anoint them with oil. The prayer of faith will heal the sick. That's what the scripture lays out for us. So we follow those ideals. We follow exactly what God says to do. We're going to anoint with oil. We're going to pray. We're going to trust that God's able to move. But God moves how he will. That's what he says. Earnestly desire the best gifts. The best gifts are the ones you need when God says you need them. And he's the source, not you. 
not your face, not the prayer shawl you took with you to Israel and, and rubbed in the dirt of Gethsemane. It's him, his presence. Still him, his power. Still him. It's still being in him because he is going to the Father. God's people after Christ are going to go everywhere. Still today, it's God's people going everywhere, sharing the gospel with every nation, for sure. Yeah, greater things you'll do because I am the way, the truth, the life. You can't get into any of it without him. There's no way to it all. He goes on in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. For what purpose? That the Father would be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, he says, I will do it. In Acts chapter 4, the same men he spoke those words to are going to be huddled up in a circle and they're going to say, man, God's really been moving. A lot of people got saved uh, back there in Acts chapter 2. And God's, God's really moving, but the, the authorities, the people who killed Jesus, they just arrested us, they beat us, they told us we couldn't preach in Jesus' name. And, and John and Peter, they stood up to him and said, look, whether we should obey you or God, you decide, but we can't help but preach in the name of Jesus. Now, that's not the same guy who denied Jesus three times. That's a new creation. And then they're going to sit in this group and they're going to be huddled together and they're going to say, man, it's going to get really intense. It's going to get really hard. Life is going to get difficult. We can see the enemy mounting attack after attack after attack. There's going to be a lot of persecution coming. What should we do? Well, we should pray. So they come together and they pray. Lord, we need you to pour out your spirit on us and make us bold. And the Bible says that a rushing wind blew through the room. So I see too many movies when I was a kid. So I see the windows all get blowed out, you know. Poosh. I like, you know, big things. Doors get blown open. So what, for what purpose? Why does all that happen? Is it necessary? No, not at all. Why does it happen? It's Jesus saying to his guys that, he, remember, he told him, I'm not, I'll be with you. It's Jesus saying, I'm here. Don't worry about them dudes. Don't worry about them. I will make you bold. He did not promise you'll never suffer. Because every one of those guys in that room is all going to get killed. Delivering eyewitness accounts of who Christ is around the world. Every one of them is going to die. Except for John. John gets to die of old age. Don't know why. Mostly probably because Peter complained about it. Right? You remember Jesus Jesus tells Peter, hey, dude, one day you're going to stand with, with me and you're going you're gonna to die on a cross. And Peter looks over at John and says, well, what about him? <laughs> Jesus just shakes his head. What do you care about him for? 
I called you to follow me. You follow me. So Jesus said, if I want him to live to the end, what's that to you? So John gets to die of old age. Between you and me, blaze of glory. Blaze of glory, what's that? Blaze of glory sounds better. So I don't, I'm really hoping not for the old age thing. But they say only the good die young, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm, I'm in trouble. Uh, look, it is the promise that came from Jesus to his guys that we see happen throughout the book of Acts. A lot of people, they read the book of Acts and they go, how come all these things aren't happening today? How come when a shadow passes by, somebody doesn't stand up? I'm not saying it never happens. God is God. He gets to do whatever he wants to do. But the greater things that Jesus is talking about is the changed lives of people who receive the gospel from the boldness of God's people being willing to cast their lives to the wind and do whatever God's asking them to do. And you are entering into a time just like that now. And you don't need tongues, and you may or may not need healing, but what you will need, I promise you, in the upcoming days will be boldness. To stand. Because the days will come when that's going to matter. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time we can spend in your word, studying your word, focused on your word. God, I just pray, Lord, that even as we know, we have experienced your incredible hand of healing. We have seen your miracles in this place. I myself have been healed. But Lord, it's not the gift that we seek. It's the giver. It's, it's not the power. It's the one who gives the power. Because if we have you, we have everything we need. We have it all. And if we're finding ourselves in that darkest night, just like the disciples are in, in that darkest night, you're saying, it's my presence. It's my presence you need. I'm here. I'm here. Trust me. So we look around in our world today and we think maybe it's a little sideways. Maybe it's a lot sideways. Maybe it's all burning. Maybe it's all going to burn. All I know is no matter how dark it gets, the Lord is saying, what you need is my presence. You need to know me. You need to trust me. You need to put your hope in me. And I will give you what you need at the time you need it. Please know, if God didn't give it to you, you don't need it right now. And if he did, then you praise him because the next time he may not. The Lord will give as he will. 
And we, as men and women, will walk obedient to your word, God. And we will never stop praying for the sick. We'll pray for your healing because the Bible tells us to. And we'll anoint with oil in faith, trusting you in the dark night because you are with me. And you will answer every prayer. And you will call me. You will say, Jackie, trust me. I know that Isaiah 55 declares, my ways are not God's ways. Your ways are not God's ways. Our ways are not God's ways. He is bigger than that. We can't fathom what God knows in comparison to what we know. And we look at things and we say, how can this be your hand, God? But you need to know it's the same thing the nation of Israel said. How can this be your hand, God? Same thing the disciples said on the night when Jesus was arrested. How can this be your plan, God? But everything in the pages of Scripture tells us that God knows what he's doing. So in the dark night, Lord, may we trust you with all our heart. When we sorrow, may we be like Job, cover our head with ashes and sit silent before you, God. And ask you for your comfort and your presence as our peace. God, help us to know you, for you do give your people power. But it's not the power we seek. It's the person. It's not the thing we want. It's the creator. God, I pray that your people will know you the power of your resurrection, the power of a new life, a new creation created in Christ Jesus, that we become more than we are because we have you. So God, move in this place. Lord, lead us, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our mind, and be glorified here. We trust you, Lord Jesus. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.